All right, I wanted to start out uh, today a, a little bit differently. We're going to play a game. You guys in for a game? All right, good. I need two brave volunteers for my game. Who wants to volunteer? Roxanne, are you in? Okay, come on up. Come on in. We got one in front row. Kenton, you guys are here for one more week. You're coming up. Okay, Kenton, come on up. And Sam, if we can hand him each a microphone. Yeah, let's welcome our esteemed uh, contestants to the stage. Um, Roxanne, do you want to stand right here? And Kenton, you want to come over on this side? Um, we're going to play a game today you may have heard of at home. It's called Church or Pot Shop. I'm serious. It comes from a comedian named John Christ, and what I'm going to do is show you guys a photo of a building, and you're going to have to tell me whether that building is a church or a pot shop. Okay, you guys in? This is going to be fun, right? So let's, let's cue that first photo. You guys see that sign? It says Remedy. Remedy. So Roxanne, you're first. Okay, we got one vote for a church. Kenton? I'll go with pot shop. <laughs> we have a... Kenton said pot shop. Okay, so let's see the reveal. Oh, Remedy Church. One point for Roxanne over here. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Painted black. Like, what is going on in there? What kind of church is that? Okay, Harvest. Oh, that... What? Ooh. Oh, what is it? Roxanne? Maybe pot shop. Pot shop? We got to vote for a pot shop? I'll agree. Agree. Can we get a mic? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Two, two pot shop votes. Okay, let's see. House of Cannabis. We got another dispensary. Okay, we each get a point for that one. So now Roxanne's at two, and we got Kenton at one point. They're doing, they're doing pretty good, right? Kenton, I think you can come back and maybe win this one, right? Okay, let's, let's see this next. The Sanctuary. It's a good name, right? The Sanctuary. What do you think, Roxanne? Okay, who, who, okay, maybe we need to help her out a little bit, okay. Potshot, who thinks it's a church? Okay, we've got a, a few that say church. What do you think, Roxanne? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say church. I want it to be a church. Church, okay. Kenton? Oh, I need to make up points, but I also think church. Church, we got two votes for church. What is it? It's a dispensary. Okay, no points for that one. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Greenhouse. Look at, and look at that logo. Oh, my gosh. This is a tough one. What do you think, Roxanne? Um, church. Church. We got one vote for church. Kenton? I got to go with pot shop. Pot shop. What, are we, what is it? Oh, it's a church. Man, Roxanne has come into a commanding lead here. How long have you been out of the U.S.? I mean, I guess too long. Too long. It's changed a little bit in the last year. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Um, cultivate. And that logo doesn't help at all, does it? Oh, my gosh. What it, Roxanne, what do you think? Uh, let's do pot shop. Pot shop? Church. Church. What is it? Cultivate church. Okay, we're getting a little closer now. Kenton's up to two points, so just one behind now. Thrive. What do you think, Roxanne? Pot shop. Pot shop. Church. Church. What is it? It's a pot shop. Another cannabis. There is a Thrive Church here in Colorado, though. Yes, there is. Okay, hopefully they don't have the same logo. Okay. 
<laughs> what, do, what do you think, Roxanne? This is a trick question. Um, sure. I've hot touched pot shop. Pot, pot shop. <laughs> Kenton? Oh, man. It's got to be a trick question, right? That's too obvious. Church. Church. What is it? Weed Baptist Church. <laughs> Weed Alabama. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So let's, let's see this next one. Okay, here's our final one. This is a tough one. Jaw healing. Jaw healing. We're going to give this one. This is a two-point one, so you could win, Kenton. We're going to give this two points. This is our final question. So what do you think, Roxanne? That would be an interesting church. <laughs> church. Church. Pot shop. It is the jaw healing church of cannabis. So you both, <laughs> you both are winners on that one. All right, can we give a hand to our contestants? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah, that was great, right? Um, yeah, good, good work um, <laughs> on that. It's funny, right? It's funny that, that we do that, and sometimes it's kind of hard to know, but... Um, it's also serious because here in, in Denver, there are more pot shops than there are gospel preaching churches. I don't know if you know that. That then when we look around, um, that we're in a city with twice as many dogs as Christians, that in a five-mile radius of our church, there are 350,000 men, women, and children who don't go to church anywhere. And when we see things like that, we wonder, is the church dying? Is the church dying? Because we look back into the past in our country, and we're like, hey, Things used to, to be better Christian-wise, that, that membership, this is uh, membership in churches up until 2000, up until the two th year 2000, wavered around 70% of our nation. From 1930, when they started tracking it, till about 2000, 70% of people at least said they were members of a church somewhere. That number has dropped since then to where it's now at 47% of our country. 47%. All of the top four denominations in the U.S. have shrunk over the last decade. Attendance at church. After World War II, right after World War II, it was about 50% of people would be in a church on a given Sunday. Today, that number is under 20% of church attendance. In the pandemic, things have gotten much worse that one-third of regular churchgoers, so regular churchgoers pre-pandemic, have stopped going anywhere in person or online since the pandemic. One-third. They say that every year, 6,000 churches close their doors, and 3,500 Americans leave Christianity every day. Colorado, I think it's even worse. <laughs> it makes us wonder if Sam Harris, the atheist philosopher, is right when he wrote in his book, The End of Faith, the entire project of religion seems perfectly backward. It cannot survive the changes that have come over us culturally, technologically, and even ethically. That's what people think. And when you look at the news, when you drive around and see old church buildings getting leveled or turned into nightclubs, that's here in Denver, right? You see that and you're like, wow, the church has lost its power. Culturally, it really has, right? It's influence in the media, it's influence in politics. It seems like Christianity has an all-time low when it comes to influence. When we look at all those things, a lot of Americans think that the church is dying. But I'm here to tell you that it's not. In fact, the church 
right now is growing and is bigger and stronger than it ever has been before. And it's exactly what Jesus told us would happen. <laughs> so we're going to look today at a verse from Jesus, and we're going to wrap up this perfect church series. In this series, we are seeing, and just being honest, like the church has lots of problems. We've talked about them. The church has problems. It hurts people. It does stupid things. There's conflict. There's division. Like I shared about how my church when I was a teenager split in half. That it's awful. We see leaders in churches, pastors fall and fail us. Entire churches and denominations falling away. And when we see all that, we think that the church is dying. But this perfect church series, I hope, is going to end by saying, like, hey, the church isn't dying at all. It's thriving. And why we're doing this entire series is for two purposes. Two purposes. One, to lower your expectations. <laughs> you lower your expectations. The church has never been perfect, nor will it be perfect. So lower your expectations, especially if you're looking for the perfect church. Sorry, <laughs> you're not going to find it. Lower your expectations. And two, we're trying to raise our actions. We have got to do and be better because we are the church. You can't point the finger. We are the church. You can't escape it if you're a Christian. You're the church. So we need to be better. So that's our goal for this entire series. And I hope today that you will learn that the church is actually winning. So I want to challenge you today to join the winning team. We know the end of the book. We know what's going to happen. The church of Jesus Christ will win. So it's time to join the winning team. Join the winning team. So we're going to look at really one verse. We're going to deep dive on one verse from Matthew 16, 18. So if you have a Bible, you can open up with me there. If you have your smartphone, go ahead and pull that out. If you use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you can find our Rice Church Denver event. Follow along and take notes right there in the app. And we're going to look at this verse because it's a verse when Jesus talked about the church. He only talked about the church a few times, and this probably is the first time, at least the first time we have recorded and Jesus, in Matthew 16, 18, says this. He says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's Jesus' own words. He's saying, I'm going to build a church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay, so what's going on here? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and in particular, he points out Peter, Simon Peter. And he points him out because they're in this discussion of who Jesus actually is. People had all sorts of ideas. Jesus is a great teacher. He's a great prophet. Maybe he's, you know, somebody reincarnated. Like, they, everybody has all these rumors about who Jesus is. So Jesus asks his disciples, his followers, he's like, you guys have been around me for a little while. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter was like, I got it. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 we have a winner. Finally, someone got it. So the Messiah, he's the long-awaited anointed one, the Savior who God had predicted through the prophets for hundreds and thousands of years. He's the Savior, the Messiah who finally come, and he's the Son of God. He's much more than just a human being. He's the one and only divine man. So Simon Peter got it. And Jesus is like, Peter, you got it. Your profession of faith, you're the first person to ever recognize who I truly am. And because you profess that faith, I will build my church on you and your profession of faith. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's interesting because there's a word play that we miss in the English. 
because the name Peter meant the rock. You see, this probably wasn't the time. It was probably in John chapter 1 when Jesus first met Peter. His name was Simon. That was his given name. Jesus meets him and is like, okay, I'm going to call you Peter, which means the rock. Long before Dwayne Johnson, Peter was the rock, okay? His name means rock. And so when Jesus is saying here, he's like, you're the rock, and I'm going to build my church on the rock. Do you guys see that? So he's, he's pointing out Peter. But what I think is really interesting here is where Jesus said this. It just gives us one little reference at the beginning of this section where it says that they were in the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is in the northern part of Israel. And there in Caesarea Philippi was a rock formation that would have been very prominent. Like if I say South Dakota, like you guys are like, oh yeah, okay, Mount Rushmore. There in Caesarea Philippi was this big, big rock cliff face that was beautiful. And there was the grotto of Pan. There was this like uh, spring that was built into the side of it, this like little cave there. And what they did to worship Pan, who was, you know, one of the Greek gods, they built a temple there. And like it was the pagans and the Greeks and the Romans. They all built different temples there to worship there. They were like, wow, this is such an incredible rock phase. Everybody went there. This is the rock on which they built their temple generation after generation. We don't know exactly where Jesus was when he was teaching, but he was in this region. And when he's in this region visiting with his disciples, he's like, hey, everybody's been building temples on a rock. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter, the rock. You guys get this? He's, he's shifting things because everybody had built temples on rocks or on mountains. That's what everybody had done for generations. Even the temple in Jerusalem was built on the Temple Mount, there on Mount Zion. Everybody had been built on rocks. But Jesus is like, I don't need a rock anymore. I've got people. See, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia, means the ones who are called out, an assembly of people. It's not about a building or an edifice. That's not what it is at all. The church is a group of people. So he's like, Peter, you're the first guy, and you are going to be the church where all the churches are built upon. Interesting, right? So that's why the church has nothing to do with the building. It doesn't matter about the buildings. So when we see buildings being shut down left and right, the church isn't dying because the church never was a building. Never was. And what I also love about how Jesus is building there is that he's building from the very beginning this foundation on someone named Peter who was imperfect. Imperfect. Now in Ephesians 2.20, Paul kind of explains this concept of how it works. He says, as God's household, that's us, we the people, we the church, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, people like Peter, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In our first message in the series, I had bricks literally up here, and I had one white brick, like Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the one perfect brick in the entire church. And here we see, even from the beginning, the first brick to be put next to Jesus was an imperfect brick, Peter. Because in the same scene, in the same scene here in Matthew 16, Jesus is like, ding, 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 oh my gosh, Peter's the first one to proclaim the truth of who I am. Then Peter is like, but Jesus, you don't have to suffer and die. Do you know what Jesus says to Peter? One sentence after, he's like, you're the rock. Do you know what he says? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, who just had it all figured out. Jesus is like, you are the enemy right now. Peter was imperfect there at the very beginning. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew that Peter would do and say a whole bunch of boneheaded things. That he would run away when Jesus needed him most. And that Peter would even be 
racist. I don't know if you knew this, but Peter, for a while, as the leader in the church, like the top dog, would spend all his time with the Jewish Christians and ignore the non-Jewish Christians. So Paul had to confront him to his face, the leader of the whole church, until Peter repented. So Jesus knew all of those imperfections that were in Peter, and he still chose him. So that should give us some hope. (laughs) If he'll use Peter to build his church, I think he'll use us too. No matter what you've done, or how far you've fallen, or no matter the stupid things you do, the doubts you have, Jesus still wants to use you to build his church. Isn't that good news? And it also means that you need to join the winning team. We have enough critics of the church. There's enough people writing blogs, tweeting, publishing in the newspaper, saying all the awful things about everything. It is easy to find flaws in the church. I can tell you a hundred flaws in our church. I know more than any of you combined. (laughs) I do. We have lots of imperfections in our church, lots of flaws. Now, we're never going to stop trying to get better and grow, but I'm telling you this is because some of you need to stop church shopping. Stop looking around because you'll never find a perfect church. In fact, our whole series is based on a quote from a sermon from Charles Spurgeon. I want you to read this whole quote. Spurgeon says this. He said, If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. And he goes on to say this. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. It's imperfect. It was imperfect from the first brick that got laid. Peter was far from perfect. And yet, God chooses to use imperfect bricks to build his church. So some of you need to stop being a church critic and start getting in the game. Anybody can be a Monday morning quarterback. It is hard to get on the field and play the game. And that's what Jesus called each and every one of us to. If you follow him, you are part of the church, whether you like it or not. So let's get in the game. Let's get in the game and start playing. Join the winning team because it is the winning team. I want to look again at verse 18 of Matthew 16. Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You see that? I will build my church. He doesn't say, Peter, you'll build a great church for yourself. It's not Peter's church. It's not Pastor Matt's church. It's not Arise's church. It's not a Baptist church. It's not a Presbyterian church. It's no one's church but Jesus' church. And it never was anybody else's church. So when you see churches fall and fade away, and even denominations struggle and collapse, it doesn't matter because Jesus' church is still growing. It's still having an impact. It really is. We talked about Bill Hybels a couple weeks ago. He was one of the greatest leaders to impact the American church over the last 40 years. Huge impact for his church, Willow Creek, in Chicago. Made a huge influence, and he always used to say something that everybody quotes nowadays. He would say over and over again that the church is the hope of the world. But now, Bill Hybels has had a failure. He's fallen. His church is struggling. And a lot of people are looking at that and say, hey, look, the church is dying. It's no good. But Bill Hybels was not the hope of the world. Willow Creek Church was never the hope of the world. The church of Jesus is the hope of the world. And we need to know that truth. 
That even when churches fall, when pastors struggle, when Christians are awful, the church of Jesus, it's going strong. It's going strong. And we've got to know that truth. It was always Jesus' church. And he said, not only is it my church, but I'm going to build it. You can be part of it. Like, we get to put, like, the mortar down, maybe. Jesus is the one building it. We do our tiny little part and think we've done so much. Jesus is building his church. And I say that because if an individual church goes away, maybe Jesus is just building his church somewhere else. Maybe he's just building somewhere else. And that actually is how it works. See, an individual church might not make it. A denomination might not make it. But the church of Jesus keeps going. He's building something. And he's realizing, like, if people aren't going to get on board here, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to work. If people want to criticize the church, I'll go to another country. He'll keep going. He's building something. And we got to decide, are we going to be part of the winning team? Now, I said that the, the top four denominations in our country are dwindling and they're decreasing in numbers. It's true. I think it's really cool that we get to be a part of a movement of churches called Converge that's actually growing. That We're one of the few groups that are growing in our country. There's some other great ones too. But let me just tell you about Converge. Um, Scott Rideout, who's our president, actually was here in Denver a couple weeks ago, and he came over to our building, toured it. I got to spend like three hours with him, which is awesome. He's an incredible guy, and I was talking with him, and, and he shared some numbers with me. He said, since 2014, when he became the president, president our, our, our uh, it's not a denomination, it's a movement of churches, has grown from 1,208 churches to 1,571. And what's really cool is that in 2014, 22% of the churches in Converge were non-Anglo meaning they were either an ethnic church or they were a church with less than 80% white, right? You guys tracking with me on that? So 22% in 2014. Today, it's 42%. So that's really cool. We're not only growing as a movement of churches, but we're growing to include more and more people groups in our churches. In the past two years, Converge has planted 79 new churches 79 new churches, and that's just in the U.S. Because we partner with different organizations around the world, Converge has helped to either fund or, or supply training or whatever it takes to plant 8,915 churches worldwide in the last two years. We've sent 134 new global missionaries in the last two years. And that's just Converge. Like, we get to be a part of the winning team here at Converge, like that, which is awesome. But even beyond Converge, if you look worldwide at the Church of Jesus Christ, I don't know if you guys knew this, but people only see what's in the United States. But even in North America, so if you include all of North America, we only represent 12% um, of the Christians in the world. We're the minority. On top of that, if, if you look in Latin America and the Caribbean, that is 25% of the Christians around the world. Sub-Saharan Africa has another 25%. We American Christians are the minority. In um, places like Asia, and in particular countries like Brazil, Nigeria, and the Philippines, the churches are exploding in numbers. They're exploding around the world. That today, 2.4 billion people claim the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's one-third of the population of the entire world. 
and the church is on trend to keep growing. Do you guys know that? The news doesn't tell you that. The media doesn't tell you that. Driving down the street and seeing a church shut down doesn't tell you that. We are so ethnocentric that we don't even realize what God's doing around the world. But he is. And I think what happens is when people start criticizing the church and stop getting in the game, Jesus is like, I'm building my church. I'll just go somewhere else. I'll just go somewhere else. So I want to be a part of the winning team. I want Arise Church Denver to be part of the winning team. And we are. Right now, we're a church that's growing, which is awesome. We're, we're happy about it. And we want to keep growing. We want to keep being the bricks that, that God uses. Jesus is building his church. So let's join the winning team. Let's join the winning team. It's time to get in the game. Jesus has enough fans. He wants us to be players in the game. And here's the great thing. We will win. Jesus promised it. We will win. He promised this. In verse 18, let's look at it again. <laughs> Jesus said, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades, that's the Greek word for hell, the, the underworld, the realm of the dead. Jesus is like, I, I don't care what happens. The church will conquer hell. Death itself cannot defeat us. The enemy can't take us down, let alone anything happening in the United States. Are you kidding me? Jesus says we're going to win. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. He promised it. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening worldwide. And if you ever don't think it's happening, I want you to think about the cross. Think about the cross. When I say the word cross, what do you guys think of? Christianity. You drive by a building, you expect to see the cross. That's why we're all confused about the pot dispensaries, right? Where's the cross? We don't know. Okay, so a cross to us means Christianity. But a cross in Jesus' day, do you know what it meant? Torture and execution. See, the Romans were well known because that was their favorite form of torture and execution. Sometimes hundreds or thousands of people would be crucified at the same time. When Jesus was crucified, there were two other criminals with him. And they put him up all over the place, all over the Roman Empire, to like remind people who was in charge. That's what it meant. That's what it meant. And as Christianity grew, the Romans used the crosses on Christians. Peter himself, history tells us, was crucified upside down. He, chose he, didn't, he said he didn't want to go up, right side up because that's the way his Savior died. But Christians left and right were being crucified because the numbers of Christianity grew. It started with Peter, and then 11 of the 12 disciples, and then 120 Christians on the day of Pentecost. Then that grew to 3,000, and then to 5,000. Historians think that by the end of the first century AD, there was 100,000 Christians. And then it started to make a dent in the Roman Empire. And the Romans started disliking Christians. They were making big waves because they loved people. They gave the poor food. They would take infants that got left. It was legal to leave your infants in trash heaps if you didn't want them. The Christians would pick them up and adopt them and take care of them. So the church just kept expanding because they kept loving and caring for people. And it became such a dominant force that the Romans hated it. They called Christians atheists. Why? Because they were getting people to stop worshiping all the gods. They must hate the gods. They're atheists. So they started torturing them, imprisoning them, and killing them on crosses often. But also in places like the Colosseum. Places like the Colosseum, which is where the games were played. 
And often they would take Christians after they had arrested them, and when they wouldn't turn away from their faith, when they wouldn't renounce Jesus, they would take them naked, throw them into the games so that they could be eaten by lions while people watched and cheered. And in those days, we have some of the writings from early Christians. They wrote, they're like, the church is dying. Because people were turning away from faith in droves as they were getting persecuted. People would be like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll deny Jesus because I'd rather live and not be eaten by a lion. But it kept happening. And it became such an influential force as the church kept growing that finally an emperor decided to become a Christian and then declared that the Roman Empire was a Christian empire. So much so that they shut down the games and one of the early popes <laughs> dedicated the Colosseum to the suffering of Christ. Did you know this? And right now there's a cross hanging in the Colosseum. And there's a plaque that reads, basically, in memory of the martyrs who were killed. The reason why we know Jesus is going to win is because of the cross in the Colosseum. And I can tell you, if he doesn't come back, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 1,000 years, there will be no more Coca-Cola. There will be no more Apple. NFL will be gone. The United States of America will be gone. But the church of Jesus Christ will still be standing. Choose the winning team. Choose the winning team. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. We've got to join the winning team. What's really interesting about this passage, I, I, I thought about it for so long because that phrase that Jesus used, the gates of hell, will not prevail. And, you know, you think about a gate, and, and even in English and in Greek, it can be, like, representative for an army. Like, these are the forces of the enemy, right? The gates. But I was like, well, Jesus could have just said army, but he didn't. He said the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail or overcome the church. And I, and I thought about this. A gate is something that's stationary. It stays there. It doesn't move. And when you go to war, you actually go and attack the gates of the enemy. You bring your catapults and towers, and you go up and lay siege to the gates of the enemy to take them down. So I think when Jesus was saying the gates in hell, he wasn't saying, hey, we're on defense. No, we're on offense. We're on offense. And, and while he was there, this is the craziest thing. I showed you at the beginning, there was that grotto of Pan, you know, where they would worship Pan, the god of the underworld, you know, that goat guy who played a flute. <laughs> Seriously. And they would go to this pit, and, and there was like dark water. That, there he is right there, in case you didn't know who that is. They would worship him. And the water was so dark, they couldn't see the bottom of the spring. So they, they called that place the Gates of Hades. This is the gate of hell. The gate of the underworld where the dead would come up. And what they would do is they would sacrifice a goat and throw it down there to Pan. And if the goat sunk, that meant the gods of the underworld were happy. If the goat still floated, well, then they had better sacrifice another goat until they sink. Not knowing that it just had to do with the amount of oxygen in their lungs. But that's beside the point. They would sacrifice at the gates of hell there. This is the gates of hell. And Jesus is preaching there in Caesarea Philippi. So when he says, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on you and your profession of faith. And the gates of hell, we're here. We're at the gates of hell. It will not prevail against us. We're going in to the gates of hell, and we're attacking. We're going behind enemy lines, and we're going to win. And we know that we will win because Jesus won. Jesus went on one of those Roman crosses. 
and he was tortured. He was executed. And they took down his body and they put it in the tomb. It looked like Hades had won. The death had conquered. The disciples went home discouraged and sad. They were crying. They thought Jesus had lost. That the church that we thought was going to build and overtake everything, it was destroyed. And it looked like a victory for death in that moment, didn't it? It looked like the church had died. But it didn't. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, showing that he has power even over death. You see, Jesus went behind enemy lines to show that he could conquer death, and death itself could not conquer the church. The church will be here forever, Jesus is saying. So join the winning team. Join the winning team. Would you please stand to your feet right now? It's time for us to join the winning team, and if you're in, I hope that you will say, I I know the church has wards, I know the church is imperfect, but I am going to stand with Jesus because he's winning, and I want to be on the winning team. So what we're going to sing right now is for Jesus to build his church. Let's sing this together. that your word is true, that your promise is sure. You conquered death. There's a cross in the Colosseum, and you're not finished. Though around us we see churches shutting down, imperfections all around us, Lord. We're not going to be critics. We're getting in the game. We're choosing to be on the winning team today. And no matter what comes, we know that you will prevail. Satan will be defeated. Lord Jesus, help us have the courage to keep moving forward as an imperfect church following you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.